Hello, Pastor Steve Waldrum of Biblical Archaeology Today. I am so grateful you're here with us. Thankful so much to be your host. We're looking today at the case of Tut's Missing Collar. King Tut's Missing Collar. We're in Archaeology Magazine. What a great magazine that is. The September-October 222 issue. It's got the mummy of Tutankhamun here. I've done some podcasts on that. They've been able to determine what sicknesses he had, probably how he died, all of this. So let's get started. Again, thanks for being here. Join us daily. Check out our other podcast. So I'm going to read what this says. Below the whole group and at the lowest level before reaching the skin was a bib-like collarette composed of fine green fiance and gold bead matting having a large zigzag pattern. This bib covers the whole of the upper part of the chest as far as the clavicles. That's by Howard Carter, the famous discoverer, November 15th, 1925. I wonder if curses were really loose then. Anyhow, three years almost to the day after archaeologist Howard Carter discovered the tomb of Tutankhamun, uh, excuse me, 1336 to 1327 B.C., in Egypt's Valley of the Kings, he removed the Pharaoh's mummy from its coffin unwrapped a layer of linen bandages. Underneath, he saw a splendid collar on the chest of the young king where it had been placed more than 3,000 years before. Photographs taken by excavation photographer Harry Burton nearly a year later show the collar still in place when the mummy was returned to the coffin. When it was x-rayed in 1968, the collar was gone. The mummy was badly damaged where the piece had once been lain. For the past seven years, Egyptologist Mark Gabold of Paul Valery Montpelier III University, never heard of that, has been, and that's no fault of anybody but myself, my ignorance is showing, been trying to find the collar or what remains of it and discern whether Carter took any part of it for himself. When I began my book about Tutankhamun a decade ago, I realized I had, no, I had to address the question of objects were, that were diverted by Carter Gabold says. So there's a gold fantasy necklace pictured here, and then also a reconstruction of Tukan Common's collar, which is absolutely gorgeous. Kind of a, a greenish, I almost wanted to say an azure, but not necessarily, but intricately well done. Some early excavators in Egypt had permission to take a selection of artifacts back to their home countries a system called partage or division, but Carter had no such agreement with the Egyptian government for Tutankhamun's tomb. Everything he found was supposed to remain in Cairo to be stored or displayed in the museum there. Carter died in 1939. His niece, Phyllis Walker, was responsible for disposing of his property. The auction house, Spink and Son, prepared a probate list with valuations of artifacts found in his collection. 20 of which were identified as having belonged to Tutankhamun. 1946, right after World War II, Walker gifted some of these artifacts to King Farouk. And I'm going to turn the page here. King Farouk. As I turn the page of my formerly nicotine-stained hands, of Egypt, who in turn gave them to the Cairo Museum. They could not be returned per se, because they were never supposed to have left in the first place, says Gibbold. Other objects from Carter's collection had already been sold by Spink, including almost certainly, says Gibbold, other artifacts from Tutankhamun's tomb. What's got a close-up of 
this. Uh, Christie's of London. Uh, Left on Mummy by H. Carter. Removed between 21st October 1926, 1968. So there's portions. One's Kansas City. Uh, Nelson Adams Museum. Christie's London. October 1st, 2015 sale. It says it was left unsold. Another part from Kansas City's Nelson Museum. So it's like broken in parts. Christie's London sale unsold. Reconstruction of Teton Commons collar showing current location of all known pieces. So basically Kansas City and Christie's. In 2015... Gabold saw a gold necklace that came from a private collection listed for sale by the auction house Christie's in London. It had been offered elsewhere five years before, but the jewelry didn't sell in either instance. When I first saw the image of the necklace a few weeks before the auction, its workmanship struck me as familiar, says Gabold. After a year of research, he concluded that the piece is composed of gold beads from the very collar that Carter had seen in twenty-five. On the Pharaoh's mummy, Gabald notes that the beads had been restrung into what he calls a fantasy necklace, fashioned from pieces of the original jewelry to create something entirely inauthentic. His research next led him to two gold and fiancé, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, F-A-I-E-N-C-E, I'm not into jewelry, obviously, I'm a holiness Pentecostal, for those wondering, hawks in the Nelson Atkins Museum in Kansas City, Missouri. Two gold hawks. Absolutely amazing. They'd been purchased by the museum in 1967 from a collector who had received them from a surgeon and amateur Egyptologist who in turn obtained them from Carter himself. Pieces of the collar are not the only artifacts from Tutankhamun's tomb. Once in Carter's possession to have landed in museum collections, Gabald has shown that others include a gold and blue glass necklace, now in the British Museum, and another fantasy necklace, you know, they made it themselves, in the St. Louis Art Museum, made of beads from a headdress, purchased from Spink in 1940. There's likely still more in 2000. The Metropolitan Museum of Art sent 19 artifacts that were shown to have come from Tutankhamun back to Egypt. So, it's pretty amazing. The article continues on. We're going to stop there. So, that's the case of the missing necklace. So, God bless the missing collar. We'll talk with you later. Thanks for being here so much. Join us daily. Leave us a five-star review. It just helps people find us. So, God bless you. We love you. Bye-bye.